Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. He was severely injured in a line of duty in what could best be described as a nightmarish incident. His life fell apart. And now he's here to talk about his recovery on the Law Enforcement Today Show. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed Veterans and First Responders Treatment Program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Joining us on the phone, calling from the very cold state of Wisconsin, we have Andrew Smith on the Law Enforcement Show. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate the opportunity. He's a former police officer for the Janesville, Wisconsin Police Department. By the way, I got acquainted with Andrew. He wrote a phenomenal piece, a phenomenal story, editorial, article, whatever words you want to use, that was on lawenforcementtoday.com, and I believe the title of it was Disillusioned Dreams. Yes, so that was actually edited for me, the the title was. When I submitted the article, the subject I put on the article was a thankless job, so I thought. Right, gotcha. It's a great story, by the way. If you want to recap it, we're going to go into details about that in just a moment because it's a pretty horrific incident you went through. And I'll be honest with you, I think it's every cop's nightmare, one of that I've had, in addition to the ones where you're, you have nightmares that your service weapon malfunctions and the worst case scenario, someone else, an innocent bystander is injured or killed. Uh, so it's a really horrific situation you went through. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Before we do that, let's give people, listeners, a bird's eye view of your police career from start to finish. So I... Graduated high school from Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, and I enlisted in the United States Army Military Police Corps. I was stationed in Panama for two years. I got out of Panama and went to Fort Campbell, Kentucky for three years. I was a game warden at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which I loved that duty. I was a member of the Special Reaction Team, uh, different tactical courses and stuff like that. I got out June 28th of 1998. And shortly thereafter, my father passed away due to cancer. It was a cancer related to Agent Orange. He was also a military police officer and a and a police officer in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, for a while. And so I was uh, kind of lost, didn't know what I was going to do. And one of my dad's friends, 
contacted me. He was a dean at a local tech college, and he steered me toward pursuing my dreams of being a, a police officer. So I enrolled in school and graduated in, I believe it was 2000. So January 2001, I was hired by the Janesville Police Department. I worked there until it was around December of 2006 when I resigned. So about five years civilian law enforcement and, and how many years in military? Five. Okay, so about 10 years experience. And thank you so much for your services. Very much appreciated. I did send you a message. and I, I said that I wish you hadn't resigned. And we'll talk about that later on. But this is a conversation my wife and I have all the time. And there's very few things I will correct people about. I got hurt. I was retired at the age of 33 on a physical disability, a couple steel plates, a bunch of screws, surgeries galore in my right hand. And so when people call me ex-police officer or ex-sergeant, I correct them. That's one of the few things I will correct people about. And, and our terminology, when I say our, in the Blue family, at least where I'm from, you have retired police officers, you have former, which means that they left for whatever reason of their own accord, and then you have ex. Ex is someone who's fired, usually under negative circumstances, things of that nature. I always tell people that, resigned on their own they have the choice of using the terms former or retired it's up to them you don't have to have a pension to be retired that's just the way i look at it right so my circumstances were as i had indicated in my story in 2006 i had disgraced the badge and my coworkers and my family and that was my circumstances where either you resign or you're going to be terminated so that's I understand where you're coming from, and, and I appreciate that. But in my opinion, I had no other option other than to resign. Before we get to the, you know, I hate when the news media does this. The newspaper, when you deal with police stories, they always go to the end first. And the headlines, police shoots man. They don't talk about everything that occurred before then. There's a right? long history <laughs> of things that happened that led to where you wound up having to resign. Let's start with, what was your career like before this incident? I believe I was a good police officer. I felt I treated people as if they wanted to be treated. My father started the Vietnam Veterans Chapter in Jefferson County in, in 1989, and so I grew up in the environment that you don't judge a book by its cover. And I mean, they had such a wide array, variety, whatever you want to say, of vets that would come and uh, participate in the meetings and come to our house and you know, I, I think I learned early on from my parents that, you know, you treat everyone as as though you want to be treated. And right. I feel I spilled that over into my law enforcement career. I remember going through school and being told that everybody gets treated the exact same, which I agree with, but I also felt that there should be officer discretion. So on, you know, an OWI stop, I, I may uh, get you a ride. I, you know, I may give you a ride myself, but I didn't feel it necessary to arrest somebody 100% of the time. And so I tried to do that in my law enforcement career when I was dealing with, you know, whether it be an OWI or domestic or, well, I, I think I, maybe I shouldn't say domestic because their hands are kind of tied now if there's evidence of physical yeah. violence. But And that's that's the way it's been actually for back when I was still policing. Once there was signs of, and that's thanks to a case in a horrible case in Torrington, Connecticut, that uh, if there's signs of physical abuse, someone's going to jail. Right. And almost every other aspect of policing, unless for heinous crimes, you had some degree 
of discretion. And we used a lot of discretion. We didn't lock up everybody who could have been arrested. Right. Nor should we have. No, I agree with that. And then I, I had a few use of force complaints here and there. None of them were sustained. They're all unfounded. But I was doing my job. You know, if you're if you're not getting down and dirty, you're not doing your job. If right. You sit in the squad all the time and don't get out and interact. You're not doing your job. And I was proud of my career. You know, up until the point I flushed it down the toilet. So what happened in the story? I'll let you tell the story. You're a, and I hate this word: routine patrol, routine police work, and then everything in a flash <laughs> changed. Right. So it was May of 2004. I was working third shift. I was dispatched to a wounded animal on the roadway, and I was dealing with that. And I saw one of my fellow officers going with his red and blues on past me. I'd missed the radio call, which, number one, I shouldn't have done. I should have been paying attention to the radio, but I was dealing with this raccoon. And in Janesville, you know, I had, I'm sure as everyone else does, we had areas of responsibility, and you kind of got ribbed a little bit if somebody took a call in your area. So. Oh, that's an understatement. We yeah. <laughs> we so rode I, each other real hard if we had any calls <laughs> in your post, that was for sure. Yeah, so I, I got in the squad and I cleared and found out that there was a neighbor watching a guy attempt to break into a yellow truck in the driveway next to his. And so myself and two other officers get down there and we're walking toward the, the address and one of the officers breaks off to go south, and then we get to this car that was parked. It was a pretty quiet subdivision. We get a car that's parked on the curb, and there was an individual in there that was pretending to be sleeping. Mm-hmm. So we get him out, question him. Of course, he doesn't know anything. So I continue walking toward the target address, and as I'm walking, I get to a fence, and I can't go over the fence. So I go around the fence, and in doing so, I expose myself in the street light and Just then, I saw the guy inside the yellow truck leaning in the driver's side door, and I watched him turn around and look at me. And so he takes off running, and I took off after him. And, you know, stop, police, get on the ground, all that kind of stuff. And he continued to run. And that's that's pretty rare to actually have calls, to receive a call for service for someone, a crime in progress, and you arrive, and the person's still there, still in the act of committing the crime. Uh, That in itself is big red flag something bad is happening we're going to talk more with andrew smith in just a few moments this is law enforcement Today show don't go anywhere we'll be right back we all know that law enforcement first responders and military have dangerous jobs they see and experience traumas that most can't even imagine and all too often that takes a toll leading to substance abuse ptsd and co-occurring mental health disorders Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to helping protect those who protect. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. 
Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Americans are going crazy for a new Italian diet pill that burns three times more fat than dieting alone. And the next 100 callers get three bottles for free. Sold under the brand name Invigorate 3X, this powerful pill triggers metabolic acceleration, a process that's deficient to most Americans, making weight loss a hassle. But a new study shows 30 pounds gone in 90 days with just two capsules a day. Julie B. of Nashville says, I was skeptical, but when I saw a famous doctor made it, I decided to try it. I was shocked. I lost 16 pounds in six weeks. For a limited time, our listeners get three free bottles with a qualifying order. Call 1-800-932-1786 now to get started. Call in the next 10 minutes and also get a free bottle of the doctor's Ultra Detox. And don't forget your free 14-day diet fix. No obligation and 100% free when you call right now. 800-932-1786 800-932-1786. Are you working so hard to make a living you can't take time to make any real money? Is every day the same boring routine going nowhere and the money runs out before the month? My name is Ron Legrand and for over 35 years now I've been helping clients take their life back by buying and selling houses with no money, credit, experience, or license. If you'll call 800-956-0677, 24 hours, and leave a message, I'll send you my new book and CD absolutely free so you can see how. I've bought hundreds of houses and trained thousands to do the same. Call 800-956-0677 get your free starter kit until 500 are gone. You'll learn how to make a full-time income on a part-time basis without risk, largely tax-free, and get 90% of the work done for you for pennies. That's 800-956-0677. 800-956-0677. Again, 800-956-0677. That's 800-956-0677. Wow. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. Is the moment I knew that for him... You can't even see the top of that thing! Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined on the phone by Andrew Smith from Wisconsin. Andrew is a former Janesville, Wisconsin police officer. And you're talking about this call for service, someone breaking into a vehicle. You get there, you walk up to the vehicle, you see the guy committing the crime. And then I'm sure what happens, he sees you and all of a sudden the chase is on, correct? He's like rabbits. That's correct. So I am probably... I don't know, distance-wise, I'm not good at judging the distance, but I wasn't far behind him, and we uh, go through some yards, cross the street, get into between two houses, and he turns around, and I can see squats down, and he's got his fist clenched, and my mindset was he wants to fight. Yeah. And I thought if I can gain control of him quickly, I can get him on the ground, but if I stop too suddenly, it was kind of dewy, this is early in the morning, and I was afraid I'd lose my footing and not be able to gain control. And so uh, in my infinite wisdom, I decided I would attempt to take down by, by tackling him. And 
you know, wrapping my arms around them. And- Which, by the way, I've done many times. And, and it's funny. I don't mean funny in a ha-ha kind of way, but it's funny how all these thoughts go through your mind very quickly. And at the, at the time, it's like you're almost reacting. And then later on, as you describe it, it's like, then I had to decide, do I do this? Do I do that? Do I do this? And what is happening, it's almost like reflexive. It's almost like you don't have a lot of time to think about it. You just do what you got to do. Oh, absolutely. So when I go to take him down, he dips his shoulder and I roll over his back. And so now he's behind me. And I had my mag light in my hand and I felt this blow to the back of my head and it made me see like blinky, sparkly little stars. And, you know, my, my brother and I have wrestled around enough and, and fought to a certain extent enough to know that that was not just a, a punch. It was something more. And so I didn't know if he had got a hold of my mag light, if he had a rock. I wasn't sure what he had. And so I made the decision at that time that this wasn't just a fight, that, you know, this was something more and that I would be justified in in escalating the, the level. So I rolled over on my back and I put my knees up toward my chest to get in a, a guard and he got over in between my legs and I could see in his right hand a Phillips head screwdriver. And I'm like, I, I was kind of dumbfounded. Like that was probably what he hit me with was that screwdriver. Now this guy's trying to stab me. Right. Now I knew I now I knew I was justified in using deadly force because you know he's stabbing me with the screwdriver. So I pull out my firearm and he's leaning over to to stab me and, and you know it's a a violent you know a lot of rapid stab movements you know he's and I'm trying to block him I'm trying to get my my gun out and I get it in his chest and and the only conversation we had was he said are you going to shoot me and I said yep. And I, you know, what you had just talked about earlier, I remember now thinking, you know, there's going to be a scream, there's going to be some blood, but this is going to stop. And so I pulled the trigger and nothing happened. And I, that right there is nightmare scenario stuff. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I had nightmares that you had to use the, your gun in a bad situation and it'd be like almost like cartoonish, like it's like dribble out of the end or, or just a malfunction right. or whatever. But for it just, you need it in a life and death scenario. You're being stabbed by this guy and you pull the trigger and nothing happens. Correct. And I, you know, I just, for however many years I was thinking, you know, I've played out scenarios. You go into a, a restaurant or whatever, you look for your exits, you know, you put your back to the, the, the wall. I, I still do that. I always play these scenarios out in my head just in case. And here was my just in case. And it, it was not going the way I had pictured at some point in time. And so I pulled back from his chest a little bit thinking, you know, when, when I first got into the army, we used the Breda 92 FS and I knew that there was a, I think they called it the disconnect safety where you engage the slide. And when the weapon's out of battery, you can pull the trigger. It doesn't fire. But as soon as you release that pressure, the slide, you can fire once again. So that's what semi-automatic where you push the slide back a little bit and it won't work. Correct. Okay. So the the firearm we carried this, and unbeknownst to me, when I had put it in his chest and disengaged that slide and pulled the trigger, that deactivated the firearm. With this, you have to fully recycle that weapon to get it back in the battery and get it ready to fire again. And, and I didn't know that. So, and who's got time so for that in a in a hand to hand life and death combat scenario? Right. Um, you know, I, there was a forum shortly after 
my stabbing where I, I was reading, which I shouldn't have, but I did. And, you know, of course, there's a ton of Monday morning quarterbacks, and they're all, you know, why didn't you, why didn't you pull out your knife that you're carrying? Well, I didn't have a knife. Why didn't you use your backup gun? We weren't authorized. Well, that you was know, a, that just, was the way with us. And, and by the way, I learned early on, the more stuff you carried, the more it could be used against you. So exactly. in a bad fight, slapjacks, knives, all that stuff, can, can the bad guy can get a hold of. It's hard yep. enough keeping control of your service weapon and a nightstick, which we had, or mace, uh, and all the things they have nowadays. So that's one thing about police in general. I, I love them, but they're the first ones to say they weren't there. They don't know what happened, but they'll tell you how you should have done it. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I always say, you weren't there. You don't know. Yep. And half the time, we don't know why we did what we did until afterwards. Right. So, uh, after I withdrew a couple inches and pulled the trigger again and nothing happened, I, I instantly thought of Rack and, and uh, Rack and the Slide tap magazine, you know, going through my malfunction drills. And so I slapped the magazine, pulled the trigger, um, nothing happened. I went to Rack the Slide, and when I racked the slide, we were so close in proximity, and my firearm was back toward my chest. I hit my chest with the slide, and I stovepiped around, and... He caught my whistle chain and my shirt collar and drove it on my right side of my face, right about my jawline, drove it an inch in my neck and pinned my head to my shoulder. So I, I couldn't move. I couldn't move my head, and I thought he'd got my neck. I thought I was paralyzed. And so I, I rolled over, and I was going to push up, and he, I could, as I'm rolling, I can see his face looking at, he looked at my firearm, he looked at me, and he took off running. And, uh, Quick cleared my malfunction, and by that time he was gone. He was over a fence, and I could actually hear him hitting fences as he was going through the right. yards. So I'm I'm on my hands and knees, and um, I see this light sweep across my over my shoulder, and I thought it was one of the other officers that were down there with me coming to to help out, and it was another officer in a squad with the spotlight because they didn't know where I was. That's the one thing I I haven't mentioned yet was. The radio communication down there was poor at best. It was a, a dead zone. They, so when I was running and I radioed that I was running west, nobody ever heard me. So the first officer on scene gets there, and um, he was he was pretty tore up. The, he had just been involved a couple months prior to a, in an officer-involved shooting where the suspect took his gun and um, took it away from him. And, and the, actually, the other officer that was with me that was down to the south, used deadly force and, and terminated the target. So actually, those two officers were there on scene during my stabbing. And so the first officer that arrived, he's putting a pressure dressing on my face, and uh, I can feel his fingers shaking on the back of my head. And I'm like, I said, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Just relax. I'm, I'm good. Well, by this time, one of the other officers came with the suspect that was supposedly sleeping in the car, he told us who the guy that stabbed me was, and, and um, we ended up getting him, I think it was, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the next day or the day after that. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Andrew Smith, former Janesville, Wisconsin police officer on the Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
rates based on a man age 42 with no tobacco use of any form for 20 years. Policy number 25. Policy underwritten by various life insurance companies. Premium includes a $50 policy fee. Rates and underwriting criteria subject to change at any time. Not available in some states. You've heard those term life insurance ads with their rates read very low. And at the end, they have a long disclaimer read extremely fast. Why? Because most people like us will never qualify for those rates. It's just a way to get you to call. Listen, at the term lifeline, we'll never quote you a low rate hoping you'll call. Then try to sell you something else. But we do promise to get you the best rates available on policies of $500,000 or more with professional service. Don't waste your valuable time. Get the real rates you want on term life insurance policies of $500,000 or more from the term lifeline. Call now. 800-957-6068. That's 800-957-6068. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888 991 9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed Veterans and First Responders Treatment Program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. Back to the Law Enforcement Today show. Guest calling us from Wisconsin, Andrew Smith, former Janesville, Wisconsin police officer. Just a brief recap. A guy breaking into a vehicle, Supposedly nonviolent crime, the journalists always love to say, uh, turns into a life or death battle. You've been stabbed by the guy with a uh, with a screwdriver. How many times were you stabbed? So he 
got me five times in the head and one in the back of the leg. And the one in the back of the leg I actually didn't know about until that night. I was getting ready for bed, and, and I felt like, I don't know, like maybe a pimple or something on the back of my leg. I looked, and here's the star pattern from the screwdriver on the back of my leg. It didn't draw blood, but so it was, it was pretty superficial. And, and the wounds to your head and neck, how bad were they? Uh, they required stitches, but um, two of them required stitches. I should clarify that. There was a graze right on my right eye. You can see where the, the screwdriver had just glanced my right right above my eye along like my temple area, which scared the snot out of me because if he would have got any closer and, and he, that would have been my eye. But when I was in the hospital getting stitches, the doctor said based on the, the angle and the depth of the uh, screwdriver going into my neck, he said, you're pretty lucky because it's awfully close to your, your artery, there, your carotid artery. And it's easy to make it sound like it wasn't that bad. Cause, and I do this too. I, unfortunately, I've been told not to do it. I talk with officers who have been severely injured, uh, shot multiple times, and then I, I, I feel like saying to myself, well, mine weren't that bad. And, and the truth right. is, they, they were bad enough, and they, they certainly affected the rest of my life. Just a brief explanation. The injury that ended my career, in a lot of ways, was similar to yours, in that it was just a car thief. He had some crack cocaine in the vehicle, and I went to arrest him. We carried revolvers back then. I had him on the ground, and I was trying to reholster my revolver so I could cuff him, and he went, he broke bad, and he took me and him off the ground, and an actual fight for the service weapon ensued where the gun was turned towards my head and rounds were being fired. All six rounds were fired off, and it wound up destroying my wrist. I wasn't shot, thank God. But sometimes in my mind, it plays tricks with me. I say, it wasn't that bad. It was bad because I knew at that moment that guy was trying to kill me. Right. And I, th- and I remember thinking to myself, and it's clear as day, I'm going to die, but it's not tonight and it's not because of you. I had expletives in my mind. You know, I don't know what I said. I could have been screaming. I don't know what I did, but we both survived. And I play those what-if scenarios in my head all the time. I try to get better at not doing it, you know? Oh, Thank absolutely. Goodness I'm here. That was my, after things had settled down i didn't wake up with cold sweats and nightmares but that what if game kept me up for many nights so i know exactly where you're coming from that what if he would have got my neck what if he would have got my eye you know you know what if i would have shot him and killed him so i get the what if game so you recuperated from your injuries and i'm assuming you returned to full duty i did so i was in the hospital for a few hours getting stitches i got out went back to the police department put my gear away and uh, returned home, and I called my wife at some point in time when I was in the hospital and, and just told her I was going to be a little bit late. And so when I got home, she was on her way out the door to go to work, and I didn't tell her anything about the stabbing. And um, I just told her that I'd you know been involved in an incident and, and I was going to be a little bit late. And so she knew something was up, so she didn't go right to work. She kind of hung out a little bit. So when I got home and she sees my stitches in my face and stuff, you know, she just one, she was mad because I didn't tell her, but, right. um, you know, she, uh, I, I don't think she knew how to process it. You know, she, um, she has some, I don't know if you want to say issues, but she had issues with me being a police officer from that, that point on, you know, she, you know, I think is more well, all of a sudden the threat becomes very, very real. It's right. it's most of us walk around, bad stuff happens, but, it, and we know it could happen, but it's not going to happen to me. 
is going to happen right. to someone else. And when it does happen to me, and my spouse has to see it, it affects them in ways I never could have imagined. Mm-hmm. And the fear that they went through. And like me, when I'm very fearful, I get angry. And my spouse got very angry during those situations. And not at me, I guess the whole scenario. Right. Because it, it, what if that had been the last day? What if I had come home blind in your situation? What if I had come home in a wheelchair? And it happens to to men and women every day in the United States. And the news media always says the injuries are not life-threatening. They will survive. And they don't talk about how catastrophic their injuries were for these people. And they're paralyzed. They're, they're crippled. They're maimed. And it happens to thousands of people every year. Right. Yep. Absolutely. So I guess what I'm getting at is neither you nor I should downplay mine weren't as bad as someone else's. They were bad enough. Right. So you started playing the what-if scenario in your head. Oh, uh, yeah, all the time. So uh, I returned to duty, and um, I was off for, I think it was my, that was my Friday. So I was off my normal three days, and then I went back. And um, I got to back up. So that night that we found the stab wound in the back of my leg, uh, I I called the police department right away and and they wanted pictures and they wanted my pants as evidence. And so I went into the police department and my chief at the time told me a story about him getting his butt kicked by a suspect. He was bloody and beaten. And he said, I, you know, I went back, I changed my uniform. I was right back on the road. And, uh, another one of my supervisors said something to my wife about if anyone can handle us at Smitty. And so I, I don't know if lived up. I I tried to live up to that, you know that you know that mentality of suck it up and it, it like we were talking earlier. It wasn't that bad, you know. I'm back on duty and and that's I think what initially started eating me away was that that um, you know we never did a debriefing on the incident. I knew that there was counseling available if I needed it, but one I wasn't willing to admit that I needed counseling because I didn't want that stigma. And um, so I figured out I'll just deal with it. It, you know the way I know how I can handle it. I can deal it on my own. Yep. It's a, it's mind control. It's willpower. It's uh, positive thinking. It's suck it up, buttercup. It's all this stuff. Go have a few beers, decompress. All, all that stuff, which is you know, and it wasn't all bad. It worked for a long time until it didn't work anymore and created its own unique set of problems. Exactly. And that's the the downside. Back in the day. We didn't have all the tools that we have nowadays. They didn't have critical incident stress debriefing teams. They didn't have uh, readily accessible psychologists or therapists that you could go see. Uh, And the stigma was there, and the stigma is still there. And I haven't quite figured out why that you're, you're a great example. You're a military veteran, and no one blinks an eye when a military veteran comes back from a combat zone and has issues and needs to get some help and talk to people. Everyone is like rightfully so says, hey, that's understandable. It comes with the territory. But for police officers, for first responders, for firefighters, corrections officers, it's a different scenario. We're supposed to be able to handle it on our own. Right. And I don't know quite why that is the case. And you know what's even more disturbing is when you have a military veteran and they will do the same thing to themselves like, oh, now I'm a police officer and now I, I don't need help. It's it's defies explanation. We're talking with Andrew Smith, former police officer from Janesville, Wisconsin Police Department. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. 
We're going to a short break. We'll be right back. Americans are going crazy for a new Italian diet pill that burns three times more fat than dieting alone. And the next 100 callers get three bottles for free. Sold under the brand name Invigorate 3X, this powerful pill triggers metabolic acceleration, a process that's deficient to most Americans, making weight loss a hassle. But a new study shows 30 pounds gone in 90 days with just two capsules a day. Julie B. of Nashville says, I was skeptical, but when I saw a famous doctor made it, I decided to try it. I was shocked. I lost 16 pounds in six weeks. For a limited time, our listeners get three free bottles with a qualifying order. Call 1-800-932-1786 now to get started. Call in the next 10 minutes and also get a free bottle of the doctor's Ultra Detox. And don't forget your free 14-day diet fix. No obligation and 100% free when you call right now. 800-932-1786. 800-932-1786. Are you working so hard to make a living you can't take time to make any real money? Is every day the same boring routine going nowhere and the money runs out before the month? My name is Ron Legrand and for over 35 years now I've been helping clients take their life back by buying and selling houses with no money, credit, experience, or license. If you'll call 800-956-0677, 24 hours, and leave a message, I'll send you my new book and CD absolutely free so you can see how. I've bought hundreds of houses and trained thousands to do the same. Call 800-956-0677 get your free starter kit until 500 are gone. You'll learn how to make a full-time income on a part-time basis without risk, largely tax-free, and get 90% of the work done for you for pennies. That's 800-956-0677. 800-956-0677. Again, 800-956-0677. That's 800-956-0677. And we are back talking with Andrew Smith. He had a piece written on lawenforcementtoday.com called Disillusioned Dreams. You can see his story about what happened to him. Uh, We're going to fast forward a little bit. You got injured in line of duty. You get back to work. You're doing okay. And then slowly things are not okay. Absolutely. Uh, My my bitterness started when we asked permission to change weapons. and, And we weren't asking for the city to buy them for us. We were we even offered that we would pay for them out of our own pocketbooks. We just wanted the permission to carry them, and that was denied. And then we asked if we could get in a, a repeater erected up down in the south end of town because of the dead zone and, and the lack of communication down there. And, and, you know, that was too much money. That was denied. And so I took on this bitterness of this, you know, why am I working for you and the citizens when they don't care about me? You know, one tried to kill me, and, and my police department doesn't support that. So... I just took on a, a really attitude, which, um, you know, I, I wish I would have voiced that more and maybe I wouldn't have stuffed it and, and it wouldn't have eaten me as much as it did. But, um, so the, the other part of my story, you know, is not just the stabbing, but my life in general is, um, my grandpa was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic and I, I had early indications when I was in the military, that I may be an alcoholic, but I wasn't willing to admit it. Mm-hmm. And so and most when people I talk are. about... Yeah, most people that have that? a drinking problem are the last ones to, to come clean about it. Everybody else knows. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I talk about dealing with it the way I knew how. That's how I knew how to deal with things, was I knew that being numb took the pain away for a little while. 
and I fell into this vicious cycle of drink, cheat on my wife, lie about it, shame, guilt, drink again. And I was engaged in, in several extramarital affairs, one of them resulting in the demise of my career at an incident in September 2006 that I ended up, um, it, I went into rehab and um, spent two and a half months in inpatient treatment and uh, got out. I wasn't going to go. I had a, my deputy chief at the time was instrumental in getting me help and and knew I needed the help. And I had called him and I said, I'm, I'm not going. He said, I'll be right there. And he drove up to my house and, and actually took me to, to rehab. And Good for I him. Credit him. Yeah, I credit him with a lot of um, my, my uh, getting better. That act right there might have saved your life. Absolutely. And, and that's the kind of thing that we as a family of blue need to start doing. We say this all the time on the Law Enforcement Show is that we need to start having conversations with each other. We need to start saying, are you okay? When we see that someone's not okay and, and be willing to step on their toes to save their life. And you, I'm sure you didn't want to go to treatment. Right. I didn't want to. And part of it was, you know, if I look back at it, you know, I didn't want to be honest. I would, I didn't want to admit to all my lies and, and stuff. And, um, you know, when I got there, I, it was such a relief that I could finally be honest without being judged. And it was like taking the zipper and unzipping my soul and dumping all my out on the table and saying, here, you, you sort this out, you figure it out and tell me how to fix me. And so it was a, a huge relief. And so when they came, when the detectives came to investigate the incident in September, 2006, um, I just, I, told him everything. I, there was nothing that I hid. You know, I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired that I was just, I was ready. So I was good there. And then, you know, I had some struggles in rehab. I had some struggles when I got out, you know, there was, um, several different times where I, I thought about drinking, but I didn't for about two years. And then I, I ended up drinking again I drank for not quite a year, and then I was um, moving my stuff out of my house. My wife and I were going to separate, and um, it was one of the saddest days of my life watching my kids and, and my wife disappear because of my actions, and, and so we sat down and had a huge heart-to-heart and decided that we were going to try to make things work, and, and um, you know, I, I think I told you when I emailed you, I'm no saint, but I definitely married one. She is still by my side, despite all my, um, heartaches and heartbreaks that I put her through, that put her through. She's still there. I'm glad that you two have been able to find a way to make your relationship better. I'm really very grateful to hear that your, your boss took you to rehab and got this part of your journey started. And I think that we need to do this more often because quite often, and it, this, this, this happens so often with law enforcement officers, first responders, corrections, firefighters, where they're okay on a job, they do a great job, they're valued members of their department, they're doing an awesome job, and then for whatever reason, many different things happen and one will put them over the edge. And next thing you know, they're, they're self-medicating with alcohol and they're doing it too often. And some people can get away with it. Then others can't. And that creates a cascading series of events that creates disciplinary problems with work, 
marital problems, financial problems, and the whole thing becomes insurmountable, and then they opt for suicide. Yep. And it is a tremendous problem in our profession, and it's a tremendous problem with our retirees. They do great in the job, and then they retire, and a couple of years later, all their coping skills are gone, what they use to be okay, and they're just drinking in there by themselves, and that's it. There's nothing left for them, and they're capping themselves. Yep. And it's heartbreaking to hear, and it's so preventable. Yeah, I just saw on the Facebook page that the suicides are way above the line of duty deaths, yeah. and that's, that's pathetic. I mean, I, not that anybody should have to go through anything on duty or off duty, but it, it was just it was uh, surprising to me when I saw the statistics on the, on the number of suicides. And, you know, you never see that in the mainstream media, which it shouldn't be published. But, you know, to make awareness there from the media, that should be. They, they should be making the general public know how severe this is with veterans and police officers sure. committing suicide. And, you know, and, and these people work in our communities, so it, it affects their communities. And we, we can't have unhealthy first responders. we got to do better to make sure they're healthy so they can serve their communities better. So they're healthy. It, it, it's right. a, one feeds off the other. And when one starts to go downhill, it has a, a negative effect on everybody else. And, and by the way, for those listening right now, not everybody goes through this in law enforcement or first responder work. Most people don't, but they say about 30% do. About 30% walk around with some level of PTSD and or substance abuse to go along with it. If you are one of me, know someone and you want to get some help, call the folks at Transformations Treatment Center, 888-991-9725, online at transformationstreatment.center. What sets them apart is they have a unique veterans, first responders, law enforcement treatment program for PTSD and or substance abuse and what goes along with it, run by first responders and combat veterans. And it's great people doing great things. So now we're to where you're at now. How is life for you at this point? Uh, over the last probably week or so, it's changed dramatically for me. And I, I, that sounds kind of kind of I guess, weird for the fact that it's only been a week. But um, last, I think it was Monday night, I was actually sleeping. I was waiting for my alarm to ring because I had to work Tuesday morning. And uh, I was interrupted by a phone call from my my old deputy chief, who we've kept in contact. We're friends. You know, we talk hunting and fishing and stuff. And and um, he says, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah. He said, the daughter of the guy who stabbed you uh, wants to meet you. And the first thing that came to my mind was, was she want to finish her dad's job? You know, I, I was very leery. I, I didn't want to be exposed. I didn't want, you know, something negative around my family that way. And he said, you know, to be honest with you, he said, I read the email and it's not, doesn't sound bad. She just wants to thank you. And so I thank me for what, you know, I, I knew that the guy had kids, but I didn't know, you know, if they're boys or girls or how many. And so I ended up connecting with this young lady on Facebook. And ironically, when I got on her Facebook page, she was mutual friends with a gal that I went to high school with. Small so world. We kind of had that connection there. And so uh, we were chit-chatting on Facebook, and she said that she wanted to meet me and shake my hand because she knew that when uh, her, her dad was arrested and, and convicted that he could no longer hurt her or her siblings or her stepmom and that he had 
been extremely abusive to them for many years. And after talking with her for a couple of days on, on Facebook here and there, um, this poor girl went through hell. And, I, and out of respect for her and her family, I'm not going to disclose yeah. stuff that she told me happened. Well, we're going to have to never... cut you off because we are yep. running out of time. I'm, I'm okay. glad you met with her. I'm glad you are doing well. And I'm looking forward to more contributions from you. And uh, thank you so much for coming on and, and telling your story. I think you might help save some lives. Andrew Smith, you're very much appreciated. I appreciate the opportunity. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Mm-hmm.